This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Tenakoto Katoa, no mai hari mai. Welcome in to another episode of Half Measures. Unlike uh, Squid Game, there's no prize money on offer with this podcast, but depending on how our reviews go, only one of us may survive this podcast. Let's see how we go. Dan Whiting is here. He looks poised. He's looking ready to go. Kia ora, Dan. Kia ora, Paul. I've come in hot today to the podcast. Normally, I like to have a, a little bit of downtime before we start recording, but I've come straight from my day job into my primary job, the podcast, and I'm I'm ready for action. I like the way you define it as the primary job. Um, and it's interesting because you're coming in hot. I'm coming in mildly, oh, I don't want to say triggered, but you know how the last couple of weeks I've said, oh, everything I've watched has been great. And it's been, I feel like I've sort of um, jinxed myself because this week I'm not so sure. That's That's a little bit of a preview for how I'm coming in this week. Don't worry, Paul, I'm here to lift you up. Always with the balance. I can't wait till I'm, we get to The Walking Dead and you do that. I'm the wind beneath your wings. Okay. Well, Dan, on that note, why don't you tell us what have you been watching this week? Well, uh, so I've been watching a few things and we've watched a few things together, but um, I've actually got a few movies that I'd like to talk to you about today. So the first movie that I've watched is a new movie on Netflix, came out in 2021, called The Guilty, starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Now, well, this movie is 100% up your alley. So basically it's about a demoted police officer assigned to a call dispatch desk and he's conflicted when he receives an emergency phone call from a kidnapped woman. Now, this whole movie, like this this is one of the, you know, we talk about criminal, we talk about those those movies which are kind of like, like, like they're all focused, they're all set in one scene, mm. they're all. Um, I love that. Yeah, and it's it's kind of one one or two sort of actors often carrying the whole thing on their own. This is Jake Gyllenhaal really pushing pushing the limits out. He really sort of like I guess demonstrates his his craft in this movie, and it's a real kind of interesting psychological thriller because your perspective is is literally you're you're with Jake Gyllenhaal's character on, on these calls that he's receiving as a as a 911 operator and to be honest with you I couldn't think of a a more stressful and more horrific job to have to mm. to have to do like to try to have to triage these phone calls triage these people coordinate people responding coordinate police fire ambulance whatever it may be and what's kind of interesting about this movie is you're having these people call in and you know, they're all in sort of various various states of, um, I guess, dilemma or sanity or whatever it may be. And then we're also learning about Jake's character at the same time. And there's actually quite a, a deep backstory to his character, which is kind of playing out all through the way that he's dealing with this information that he's getting. And it's one of those films where, you know, there's lots of sort of not huge twists and turns, but there's enough twists and turns to keep it really interesting. And I think, you know, if you've got Netflix, this is one I would highly recommend giving a watch. I love the sound of this. You really, you really, 
what's the word hooked me in when you talked about it being that that clear singular focus and uh, sort of like that i love that and so with the the premise of it being a phone call from someone being kidnapped that really sounds sounds good i see i noticed this is a um they've made this movie before because there's a guilty in 2018 and a guilty in 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 2021 the one you've watched so the original one being being danish um i'll be tempted somehow almost to do that one first and then and then do the one that you've just watched uh, the director has got a good bunch of stuff behind him as well true detective and um what's the other thing i was on oh, magnificent seven and the killing there's a lot of things here um this was this was one of the options wasn't it for movie of the week yeah, it was, and I think it's kind of been on my on my watch list for a, a, a long time. In saying that, it hasn't actually been out for that long, but I've been wanting to sort of watch it. So um, I finally just just got around to giving it a go. And mm. look, it's you know, look, it's not necessarily going to be this is the best movie you've ever seen, but I think this is a a great movie in that genre that we've been talking about. And I think for me, it kind of surprised and delighted me, like. Jake Gyllenhaal's character and there's a whole sort of subplot around why his character is on this 911 desk what that character has been through maybe some of the things they've done is kind of a little bit of subtle um, social commentary through it and the movie's actually got some some you know it's, I think one of the additional producers of it and one of the voices on it's Ethan Hawke as well mm. and so it's got a you know just when when there's a wider cast, but a lot of the weight is on one actor. It's so amazing. You know, like, I don't know about you, Paul, but if you had to carry a movie for, like, two hours, you know, much like, you know, Kylo Ren in the, the Star Wars franchise, it's it's a lot. I see what you've done there. You've, you've seen that I've obviously come in a little bit triggered and you, you thought, maybe I can get him going with that. I'm going to ignore that. And I'll I'll say that Jake Gyllenhaal, I feel like I haven't seen him for a long while. Um, like I, off the top of my head, I'm thinking Source Code, which was like a decade ago. I feel like I just haven't seen him for a long while. And he's he's great value. Yeah, look, and I think I'm probably underselling. Uh, I, I actually think Jake Gyllenhaal is a is a pretty great actor, and he's been in some great movies. Um, what's the one I'm trying to think of where he's the um, he films like late night videos or I can't think of it. It's uh, top of my mind. I'm trying to think about it on. I can't think of it. Donnie Darko? No, no, he's like, he's basically, oh, what is it? It's called, I'm just uh, whipping to IMDb really quickly. Uh, duh, duh, duh. This is the thing, I just don't feel like I've seen enough. Night Chaser. Oh, I yeah. think it's, yeah. Oh, Nightcrawler, sorry. Nightcrawler, that's the movie. And yeah, like, uh, he does some fantastic stuff in, you know, Prisoners, uh, End of Watch, Spider-Man. Like, he's done, he's done some great stuff, and I think... The difference is that this this he's pretty much on his own. So, look if you've got Netflix, I highly recommend giving it a watch. Nice one, added to list. And then I've watched a couple more movies. And before I get into these movies, I actually need to give a, a shout out to Sador from our Discord channel. So in the weekend, um, I was actually invited to a a bit of a Halloween movie watching experience, and so. In prep for that, knowing that Sador from our Discord channel is a, a big horror fan, um, sought his advice on what he thought were some some good spooky movies to watch. Mm. And I just want to read them out for the audience because you might be, you know, looking for a bit of a, a, a horror film to watch for the weekend. And so this was, you know, 
top of Sador's mind, his sort of 10 horror movies to sort of give you a good scare. And he does recommend watching these with the, you know, the, the lights out, sound up loud. So uh, the first one being 1974's Black Christmas, uh, Day of the Dead from 1985, Hereditary from 2018, The Innkeepers from 2011, Martyrs 2008, The Orphanage 2007, Position 1981, The Ring from 2002, uh, Suspiria uh, 1977, and The Wailing from 2016. Now, I've watched a couple of these movies, so I've seen The Ring, uh, I've seen Hereditary, uh, I've seen Day of the Dead. Um, one of the challenges here in New Zealand with, I think particularly the sort of horror genre, is a lot of these movies just aren't available on any platform. So mm. it, we kind of had a little bit of a stumbling block. But I, I, you know, Sado's actually got me interested in some of these movies. I'm going to try really hard to to try and track them down. But the the movies we did end up watching for our our Halloween. Uh, viewing session is we watch 2015's um, The Witch so that's a Robert Eggers movie and this is a movie that has long been on my want to watch list stars Anna Taylor Joy who you may remember from Queen's Gambit oh yeah and so this movie is set in 2015 so basically the premise of this is it's in the 1600s the there's a, a family that's kind of outcast from a colony a community and what happens is this sort of relatively small family of a a husband a wife and um sort of several kids as a baby goes missing and what kind of happens i can see you're nodding your head already kind of unsure about this is there's a there's sort of the the suspicion of, of of witchcraft at play and the whole story is kind of played out like um is a member of the family a witch? Um, has a witch actually stolen the baby? What's what's going on? Like, and it kind of just it's. I'll tell you, Paul. It's one of those movies that really sits with you, much like you know movies like uh, Blair Witch. Or this is a very slow burn movie with lots of old-timey dialogue and stuff you really need to kind of listen to. And it's not a, you know, and Sador said this actually in our Discord channel, this isn't a, a kind of jump scare horror or, you know, sort of, like this is actually just a, a really good movie that's probably not for everyone. But I'll tell you, I really enjoyed it and I definitely found it creepy. I love the idea of this. I saw the list on in the Discord channel and I really appreciated that there were some, some good oldies in there. So a great effort from Sador. I also liked how he added about, you know, lights off, sound up, because then let's be honest here, quite often when you talk about watching movies like this, you need to make sure you're watching it in daylight and that the curtains are open. Did you did you succeed correct. with the challenge? Okay, so if I was watching these movies alone, I would 100% be watching them in the daytime with the full sunshine. But this was with a group of other people and I had to I had to play it cool. So it was definitely, you know, lights out, it was dark, it was loud. And, you know, I was surrounded by other people, so I didn't feel, you know, too too isolated. But look, the, as I say, this movie is like the, the witch is a, a real like lingers with you type film. And it's pretty messed up but in a as I say a real slow burn type way and I think if you are 
interested in sort of a an interesting story light horror i think you could do far worse than this movie um we had to track this down on itunes oh yeah uh, or google play is where you'll be able to find this movie nice i um what was i gonna say uh yes yeah, so where i was shaking my head about the baby going missing i mean that straight away combine that with horror that's going to be terrifying there's a tv drama british drama called the missing where uh, a young child goes missing and that for me that's that's the center of a very oh, very powerful horrible awful watch that i just i need to finish quickly so that i can just get through it all um i'm not sure what would be more interesting to watch this or you for two hours playing it cool i'm not sure <laughs> i'm not sure um, and then we watched one, so one other, one other spooky film, and this one kind of just emerged randomly. Uh, wasn't on any lists or sort of recommendations. Uh, one we stumbled across on Netflix called His House. So this movie came out in uh, two thousand and twenty, and this was much more uh, jump scare horror, but not super scary, and so premise of his house is basically a refugee couple makes a a harrowing escape from war-torn South Sudan uh, but then they struggle to adjust to their new life in an English town uh, that has an evil lurking beneath the surface and what's interesting about this movie is it's like there's a horror component to it but there's also a bit of a, a social message around it so these refugees come into the UK and they basically get you know, if they get they go to a detention camp initially, if they uh if they get approved to, to stay, they basically get allocated some housing mm-hmm. and they get um and I think it was about they get given seventy three dollars a week and they're not allowed to um basically you know, move to new accommodation, they're not allowed to get a job, they're not allowed to basically do anything. They have to stay in this house, live on the seventy three dollars or 73 pounds, and that's until basically they get, you know, further approvals to do anything else. And so what's kind of interesting about this is everyone that this family interacts with is like, you should kind of count yourself lucky, your house is bigger than my house. And <laughs> But the thing is, these these refugees have got these horrible, horrible tragedies that um, – they're kind of bringing with them, but they don't really have any support. They don't have any sort of, and that's where kind of the the horror element comes in. It's almost like the the ghosts of of their of their past are kind of haunting right. them in the in their house. And there is some definitely creepy stuff going on in this house. This movie has a lot. Yeah, it has a few more sort of jump scares, a few more sort of classic horror elements combined with some social messaging. I didn't enjoy it as much as The Witch. But I still think, you know, as a as a Netflix one and a, and a fairly modern movie, you could do far worse. Really interesting story, the way you've summed it up there. And definitely the, the genre feels like the sort of thing that I imagine you would definitely, you'd definitely be into. Um, I've started to get into that a bit more as well. I don't recognize so many people in this one, but I do, I saw Matt Smith was in there. And until you describe what was happening, I, I just figured, oh, I reckon Matt Smith will be the, He'll be the bad guy. He'll be the he'll be the scary guy because when he puts on a sinister face, he's quite scary himself. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, so this movie, this, this movie kind of almost has two completely different views. Like, even the tags on it for IMDb are drama, horror, which is sort of interesting sort of uh, polarities, I guess. So, mm. yeah, those were the, the couple of movies we checked out. I would have loved to have checked out more of Sador's list, but as I say, a lot of trouble here finding them on any of the streaming services, which was a shame. Um, but, yeah, that's what I've been watching this week. I wish they'd make everything available in all the places, you know, it really, this is why people pirate stuff. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, so Dan, for me, uh, I'll start off unsurprisingly where I'm going to go here. Look up, look down, look out. Here comes the biggest bond of all. Um, it's 1965's Thunderball. Um, this, it's, it's refreshing to be able to say this, but at the same time, it's kind of a shame. But I don't rate this Bond movie that highly. I do not rate this Sean Connery, James Bond movie that highly, which is something I didn't think I'd be saying as part of this rewatch. Um, it's kind of for, for t- it's kind of odd for two reasons, because I, I just thought, firstly, that all of Sean Connery's Bond movies were top-notch, and secondly, the plot is... It's like the overall story is is really good and actually should be right up there with the best of Bond movies. Um, so this one here, Bond heads, heads to the Bahamas to recover two nuclear warheads stolen by Spectre. Um, and Agent Largo is an international extortion scheme. Uh, he's the guy who's nicked them and it's up to Bond to try and get them back. And I was just shocked by this movie from the point of view because it rates relatively highly as well so whether this is just me i don't know but i just thought the directing was all over the place and that makes no sense because it's terence young who has directed both dr no and from russia with love although i did note this was his last james bond movie maybe that's a coincidence i don't know because it made a lot of money this movie the pace is all over the place it was times it was really really slow and you know i like a slow movie but the main thing for me that came out of it was I had no, there was no personal feel to how Connery was, um, the, the, the type of Bond performance he was giving. It was a very, a very impersonal Bond. And I think after how good he was in the previous two, that, oh, that previous three, sorry, with Goldfinger, that's something I really missed. I think it's interesting, right? Like these James Bond movies, it's not like there's a, a five-year gap between these movies like we get with the modern Daniel Craig movies. Like these are kind of like pumped out year on year, right? And I think that probably adds a bit of fatigue to everyone involved in these movies that like, am I just on the, am I on the train now to deliver these movies? Um, it's, it's a shame to hear because I think you think about movies like Thunderball as a classic, mm. but um, listening to you now, like I, I would probably struggle to describe the differences between uh, Goldfinger, Thunderball, From Russia With Love, having not watched them recently. They all sort of yeah, blur yeah. into one kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. classic James Bond for me. Yeah, it's interesting because, and I, as I'm saying this, I do wonder if me raising this movie on the back of these three amazing, I would probably say the last three would probably be in the top 10 Bond movies ever. That's how good the, the first three were. How I might feel if I'm rating this movie, I don't know, 
like a dozen or so movies down the line, maybe suddenly I'll be actually Thunderball was pretty good. Maybe I've maybe I've I'm, I'm slating it too quickly, but there are a lot of things. The production was sloppy. There's things where they speed up the footage to make things look faster. That doesn't work. It doesn't work then. It doesn't work now. It, it looked really, it really just looked odd. Bond looked odd at places. I could go on, but there are still a lot of good things in here. There's a lot of great one-liners. The music. The music is fantastic in this. That's one of the the great things. There are several themes that you hear in this movie that become themes throughout all of you know Bond movies for the next fifty years. The technology and the gadgets are really pumped up in this movie. The jetpack, you know, that was introduced here. That was that was good fun. And um, but the fact that I'm pulling out gadgets and music as the positives from my experience here is 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 weird. And the sound levels were all over the place so i kept having to put the volume down because the music and the exposure was so loud but then when the dialogue was on it was just you could you could not hear it it was i don't know how anyone can watch it on one volume setting um what i find interesting is is i from memory i actually prefer the remake of thunderball um which is the uh the unofficial sean connery bond movie um never say never again which he made in the 80s when he came back as a one-off movie. And I don't think that that can be a good sign that my memory of of Sean Connery doing a, a remake of this 20 years later as an older Bond can be a good thing. But but yeah, there we go. That was um, Thunderball. And I guess it's probably, like I said, a little bit refreshing rather than me just coming in every week saying, oh, these are the greatest. You've got to watch these movies when everyone's seen them 20 times anyway. Um so that was Thunderball. The other thing I watched this week, Dan, um, recommendation from you and follow up to the first season that I'd already watched was Black Summer Season 2. And I, I would go so far as to say that this was probably one of the highlights of what I've I've watched. Um, this, this series is so intense. And so th- this is... Um, Sorry, just to put this into perspective, this is a 2019 zombie uh, series on Netflix um, in the dark early days of a zombie apocalypse, Strangers Band Together. And that's literally as, as all the plot you need. And there is a this show is so good because of two crucial things. One, you can never relax, not even for a second. And two, it's the zombies that are the star of this show. They And in some ways, I feel like that's how... It really should be, um, because when I look at any zombie movie or TV series I've ever seen, I feel like these zombies are the best of them all. We've talked about it before, but the, the crux of it being the fact that they're they're super fast, they're super strong, um, they've got that incredible strength, they've got that relentless energy to chase you, and and then the second thing is how quickly they turn into a zombie. So once someone dies, there's no sort of oh, we better get out of here period. It's literally instant and there's no time to take a breather and and so whilst the walking dead i think will always be the the zombie series that i i think of when i think of this genre and i think it will always you know it'll always be my favorite it'll be the one i talk about the most but could could you imagine that the walking dead if they went back right from episode one but they had these zombies in that series imagine that yeah look i i talk about this more often than I probably should admit, but like fast zombies are terrifying zombies. Mm. Like they sort of World War Z uh, type, just fast moving, adds such a whole new level of threat. And like I actually enjoyed season two, I think, more, 
from memory more than season one. Yeah. Um, and I think because there was a couple of rogue episodes, I think, in the in the first season, whereas this felt like a bit more of a, a tighter package. And I think what is interesting about this show is that you are literally on the edge of your seat because you don't know who is going to make it at any given point. Everyone is expendable. And that's where I think a show like this exceeds The Walking Dead because you know that Rick Grimes is, you know, or Michonne or Daryl or whatever, are pretty safe for the majority of time. Whereas in this show, at any point, someone could just be, could be bitten, attacked, killed, whatever, and you've got no time to process it. The show just moves on because that's that's the, the pace and the the fear that they're trying to build. And I think they do a great job of that. That's exactly it. That's perfect, Dan. It's this, and you're right, this second season was was stronger. I think also because this season, the whole thing is set to the backdrop of winter. I mean, that brings its own challenges, um, let alone in a zombie apocalypse. Um, but the the only thing I would say, and it's interesting when we draw comparisons to The Walking Dead, because the flip side about the zombies being so good in the stars that the characters and the relationships um, between them, like if you and I would uh, make a list right right now of every character we can think of in The Walking Dead, I reckon we would get to like 50 quite easily off the, off the top of our head across those three series. Whereas with Black Summer, apart from the fact I'm looking at it on IMDb in front of me right now, I would struggle to tell you people's names. And so there's no strong connection to those characters. And so there's still the intensity of wanting a human being to escape when they're being chased for for 12 minutes straight with no break. And that's, that's a fact. There was one scene where they, I don't know how they even filmed it. It was brilliant. But when someone does get caught, then their death isn't really as meaning as as much. And the the thing I thought of, it was kind of like, if I was to take this series in Walking Dead, it's a bit like in gaming. Well, actually, I probably better be careful here because I don't game anymore. But back in the day when I used to game, they used to be able to have like a, a game and you'd have like an arcade mode or a story mode. And it feels a little bit like that where Black Summer is the arcade mode and The Walking Dead is the story mode. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. Like this is, yeah. I think it does because I think you're right. There is something about like The Walking Dead is, is actually building up these characters and telling quite, quite a different story to what I think Black Summer is. And I think you're right. Like in, in some ways, everyone's so uh, disposable that you never truly, maybe apart from Rose and Spears, yeah. you never truly have a, a strong appreciation for any one of the characters. And I'll tell you one thing, and it's, like it's been a, a few months since I've seen it. I didn't enjoy the tension between Rose and Spears. No. I, you know, I enjoyed them as a team, and um, I just seemed like such a, a hard world to live in. I didn't want what I kind of thought of as two great people to have this riff that di- didn't need to be there. A hundred percent agree. Forced tension between characters is something that really triggers me, and we we see it here, and we see it in. Uh, in other shows that you and I might be talking about. And I just, uh, yeah, it's very evident here. The the other thing I didn't like on reflection is the way they, I don't know if you remember how they, they would cut away from every sort of completed act. And then they would preface every change of scene with a black screen and a white title. And I just found that it took me out of the moment. And it reminds me that I'm literally watching a story and that these are chapters, but it doesn't work with a universe where, because because the scenes often, sometimes, as I said, it's incredible camera, but they hardly ever break. 
it's kind of like it really lifts you out of it and i i didn't enjoy that it's almost like it's got a bit of a a tarantino-esque vibe to it right mm. where they're trying to tell the story and they're presenting it to you in a a slightly different order or from different people's perspectives and as you learn more it's changing your perception of the world and the story yeah and i think there's scenes where that works well and there's scenes where that's a little bit forced and i think i think you're right like you've either got to lean into that and do it really well or don't do it do you know yeah when i think about tarantino doing that and you know like in a kill bill so i feel like there's a few leagues ahead how he's doing it but um but look what this show does well what i was talking about the start what i love and what makes it so intense it does really well and so on that basis i will 100 percent be back for for season three for sure that's awesome i am i love the show i this is one of those shows where you know it'll be great for someone to find and be able to binge a couple of seasons though it will be a stressful time and it's one of those shows that like if you could kind of like reset your mind to watch a show fresh i, I would love to watch this again because I, I had a great time um with this one even though it was anxiety inducing indeed so that is black summer and yeah both seasons are available on netflix well paul it must be time to talk about your favorite topic and mind the Walking Dead. It is. Now, remember, you're going to be the balance, Dan, as I start to, to bring us down. So we'll, we'll hold you accountable to that. If you're not a Walking Dead fan, uh, Dan, Walking Dan fan, Walking Dead fan, don't forget you can uh, use the timings in the show notes to skip ahead to the, the next thing that we're reviewing. But for now, uh, The Will Beyond Season 2, Episode 4, Family, is a four-letter word. Tensions rise as the group questions past events and plans for the future. Things get explosive as someone's abilities and loyalties are put to the test. A surprising discovery is made. Over to you, first of all, Dan, to set us off on a positive way. Another fantastic episode in the world beyond universe. You know, they're really doing a great job, Paul, of bringing the story together. You almost said it with and a straight face. <laughs> no look it, it's pretty much the I feel like it's, I'm just saying the same thing week after week I think the uh, I it's just like it's it's frustrating I think as a viewer because we've finally actually got everyone back together and now we're splitting them up again and I feel like so much of the walking dead is actually trying to find your way to somebody and then when you finally get that and then they just instantly go the other way is is kind of frustrating I feel like, and this is probably on me as an idiot, I don't even know really why um, Huck and what's his name? Felix. Other guy are having this rift and why it's so bad. Like, I, I, and I don't even care to really look into it to remind myself. That's that's the crux. It's I don't know why and I don't care. And, and again, that comes into this whole, we know we've only got, you know six episodes to go and and you're right so we've got iris and hope finally back together but you know and over the course of this episode hope decides for one reason or another this isn't for her and and she's on her way so that's kind of a waste and i kind of had visions of me with a red pen just having a field day with the script if i was there just going no 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 no, no. we don't need this we don't need this this is amateur hour there was there was some positives in there that it was good to see silas uh again like elton i think he's a fascinating character um i love the the 
the dine or dash scene where they sort of conned him. I feel like he has the potential to be a hell of a baseball player, the way he was swinging that bat. His pass really you know, started to come back to the to the forefront there. And I've said it before, it's not the characters. I, I don't mind following a bunch of teenagers find their way. It's not the cast. I think they're all more than more than fine. It's just that writing. It's so much of the show doesn't work for me. And it's a shame because the parts that do have the potential to be some of the most fascinating of all The Walking Dead. So the irony isn't lost on me every time they give us only a few minutes of that sort of window into that side of things when there could be could be so much more. But yeah, I am. Um, yeah, I think the thing is, like, it's hard to pay attention and it's hard to care. But we're we're committed to the end because this may be the Half Measures podcast, but we, we've come this far. We'll, we'll see it through. I think it kind of feels like the CRM is too big for them to actually bring down. The best they could maybe do is collectively get a new cohort of people together to go off on their merry way and do something else. Maybe do some damage to the CRM. But it's... I've just got this terrible feeling, Paul, like a great sort of disturbance in the force that we're just going to end at season, oh, sorry, episode 10, season two. And we've kind of just been on a bit of a journey and we've been for a bit of a jog around the block, but for no real reason. Like, it, mm. like it's going to give us a bit of CRM intel and like that may play out in one of these other um, Walking Dead universe shows, but did it really matter? I just, I just don't know if it does. And to be honest, it's if there was actually several more seasons, I, I would almost be like, we've got to stop reviewing the show because it, it's just so hard to say anything different. It's interesting because if there was, if we knew we had seven seasons ahead of us, I might be more patient and because I'm wanting to learn about these characters. And I think I'll never forget the day that you tell me on this podcast that there's only two seasons and that's it. Because my whole view on this show in terms of what I, what its expectations and what it had to deliver changed because it became a different, because I don't, other than shows that get cancelled, I can't think of many TV shows and I'm sure there's going to be heaps of them now, but um, that, that actually say this is just going to be two seasons and i i think that's a big a big reason why i'm constantly here saying oh yeah this the civic republic stuff is where it's interesting they always in the last three minutes of every episode they sort of flash to julia morn and she's there and there's something going on in the sierra like, oh here we go and then it's going to cut the credits and it's done so and like you said it's got to tie it together when are we going to get something that links us when are we going to get something solid that links us to the Rick Grimes story, whether it's one of the characters from the Garbage Pale people or, or whatever? This show has to do that, Dan. We've got six episodes for these for these guys to get their shit together. I guess I've got two thoughts. Have we verified this is only two seasons? Like, has that been double-checked, fact-checked? Okay, good. Because um, I feel like we probably could have been sending people wrong. If this show doesn't end with Rick Grimes, I feel like that that will be its only salvation is for Rick to be like, you know, there's someone fighting walkers, he's covered in blood, he turns around and he's like, what? You know, like if <laughs> if it That's right. if it's if it's not Rick, like like there's gotta be somebody that hooks us in and be like, damn, wow, we've gotta find out more. Oh my god, this is all worth it. And I guess I just don't have the confidence, and I don't think that most of the viewers do either, because this is reviewing pretty averagely. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I just – it's so crazy, isn't it? Because The Walking Dead is a 
is a big franchise, right? And the Walking Dead original is is huge, right? It's it's brought in millions of dollars, millions of views, and you know, Fear's had a bit of a rocky journey, and that's that's they've finally sort of got that into you know, often we say a better place than than Walking Dead. But, you know, and they've still got talk of these other Walking Dead series and it's just like it's so risky because you've got a good thing, but you're on the verge of just killing it completely. To anyone who listens to this but doesn't watch the show and just thinks that this is basically two angry old men, which is accurate, but just to put it into context, this show has had on IMDb alone has had 12,000 ratings and out of 10 it's scoring 4.2. So I think our commentary is in line with with a lot of other people's thoughts on this. Um, if it finishes Rick Grimes, that would be way more than I would expect, but um, that's, that's ambitious. I like the thinking there and... Um, yeah, six episodes to go. Let's 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 ride it out, Dan, and let's let's move over, shall we? Should we move over to Fear the Walking Dead? Yeah, so this is episode two of Fear the Walking Dead, uh season seven. So this episode is Morgan, Grace and Mo struggle to adapt to life on the submarine. A food shortage forces him to face the nuclear fallout outside the sub. Dan, I have two questions for you. Firstly, What's in the box? What's in the box then? Secondly, what were the writers thinking with this whole Grace forcing a car crash because the tape deck is just too hard to, to, to figure out? This episode, I think in principle, is a good idea, but what were they thinking with the horrific writing? And I can only feel so sorry for karen david who plays grace because she must have received that script and just been like really can i not just hit the volume dial or the eject button what were they thinking this is an interesting one right because i think you summed it up in principle this is an interesting episode but i'll tell you paul the amount of this is this is really going to confirm my place as a, as a terrible human <laughs> the baby crying in this episode killed me. I was like, I don't know if I can watch this. Like, if this baby doesn't stop crying, like, I was, I felt myself just like so tense. Like, I just want the baby to stop crying. Like, it was, it was annoying. Like, and like, I, I need to put context around this. That like, obviously, babies cry, but I guess as a as a viewer, it was just like it was all I heard for so much of the episode was this crying baby, and it was like. I get it, I get it, but it's like, you're not, I don't know, it didn't do it, like, it, it was frustrating. I'll tell you the other thing that I found frustrating is, so obviously, uh, Grace, um, basically, you know, and Grace goes, leaves the sub, decides she can't go on, just end me, oh. and I'm just like, oh, God, <laughs> like, we've had so many Walking Dead characters who are like, just in me, and I get it, right, like, you're in a post-apocalyptic world, there's uh, zombies all around you, now there's been a nuclear bomb that's gone off, like, this is bad, like, this is bad for everyone, but I'm just so fatigued by the storyline of the, the woe is me, let's turn it around, and and I'm kind of torn in saying that because they are in a terrible situation, but I'm I've been just I'm worn out by this the same old thread. I know what you mean, and I feel so sorry in those scenarios for the person that they're with to to have that, and that would have been leaving Morgan with the baby. Um, and so it is it's hard to watch, especially after the fact that 
their their plan, which was solid to get into this car, which was, you know, was was stripped down to be as light as as possible um, to get away, you know, to drive away from the the fallout where the the, the whole nuclear zone, so they could actually live somewhere and and uh, and hopefully be be okay. They would have potentially made it if she hadn't have forced the car crash and then she's just like oh i can't go on it was hard and of course as you say listening to that baby and what was interesting was it was it was probably like only 20 minutes of the baby crying which um which did bring back some memories for me and it is hard to listen to but 20 minutes of a baby crying on tv that is a lot to watch on a television show it was and it was quite deliberate oh yeah it definitely was deliberate and i I think that there's a few other things that kind of threw me in this episode. So, and it's kind of the way they're treating the fallout, right? Like, so when people go outside, obviously they're at the submarine, so they've got like full protection gear on. But then Morgan's like got this, like, I've just whipped up a, a zombie escape vehicle. Like, I've got like all these like things welded on and it's all go. He lifts up the boot and he's like, we can put the baby in the back and the baby will be breathing fresh oxygen. And it's like, I'm no scientist, Paul, but (laughs) I don't, like, my understanding of the way, like, a sort of nuclear fallout might work, if you're exposing a surface to anything, like, there's there's a risk. He's just, like, standing with the boot open, like, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I feel like there's got to be a bit more hazmat. And then, like, you've got people running around with just, like, you know, it kind of speaks to the current day, but these kind of people that have been, uh, affected by the by the radiation, who have just got like a cloth mask over their face, and they're fighting with people who've got actual masks on. I'd be taking their mask. I wouldn't be like, "Hey, take it back." I guess the damage That's is right. done. But anyway, and then the the last thing that I would kind of sort of think is a a slightly kind of uh, frustrating part of this episode for me was kind of at the end when they finally go back to the sub. And then Strand's right-hand man is in the sub and he's kind of like, oh, you must be Grace and Morgan. And I feel like, why why is in Scott's this guy Howard, he seems to have just instantly got the position of 2IC when he was actually in charge to start with. Like, Strand came to his house and all of a sudden he's just out doing Strand's, like, dirty work. Like, how did this come to be? Like, I don't understand this dynamic. Yeah, I don't understand that either. Although, I have to be honest, I, I'm glad that they've skipped forward to this to, to this dynamic than rather than having to witness, us witness the power struggle that must have gone on or whatever in between seasons. So I've no interest in seeing how that happened. But you're right. How did that come to be? I, I just don't know. There was... There was some positives in this episode. I, I did. I liked the idea of the look of the walkers who had been too close to the blast and how they looked different. I liked the idea of um, uh, was it Fred and B, the the couple that they encounter, and it's a kind of a new dimension of seeing people in this universe now suffering from nuclear radiation and sort of you know uh, the B she had no nose. That was pretty well done. Then there was there was some good. There was some good things in there, and like. We both sort of said at the start, if we had brought it all back to a simpler, to the simplicity of what the story was and just removed all of the ridiculousness, all of some of the crying, at least, um, the, the crash situation, um, there was a potential for an episode here. And look, this fear The Walking Dead started strong last week. We've had at least the last two seasons have been really good. 
um, after the first sort of three were at least middle of the road. So let's hope that this curve is going to continue to trend upward. And this is a minor blip because I feel like it's a while since you and I have sat here and gone hard on the fear of the Walking Dead universe. I think it's been the other two which have been sort of taken to test, but this week everyone's getting it. Well, look, and I think this was still compared to World Beyond, uh, uh, oh, yeah. leagues ahead. Like yeah. so, and I think you know, over, like I actually had a relatively good time watching this episode. I guess it just had its frustrations, and I think one of the things that I passively kind of wonder about is, you know, when Fear first started, and Fear was kind of about the the origin of uh, the zombie outbreak, mm. or the, and. I felt like it really leaned heavily into like how society is kind of reacting and how they're kind of dealing with it. And then all of a sudden it was like, bam, we're, we're, we're in it. Like we're, we've gone past that. Like, don't worry about it. And I, I actually think this whole idea of a, a nuke going off is absolutely fascinating. And I hope that we don't just suddenly move to, ah, it's gone. It's all gone in a different direction. Look, the, the wind's gone north. It's okay. You know, and we just kind of gloss over it and there's a few kind of like manky looking walkers, but it's not really a, a major plot point again. Like like I think they've got a good thing here and I think, you know, it's kind of interesting seeing how all of these characters are, are split up and they are probably going to come together again and they're going to need some mechanism to do that. But it's kind of don't take your foot completely off the this concept of, of what you've got because it, it is a good thing. It's interesting you say that, Dan, about... Because, okay, firstly, you're right. It is a good thing they've done. I don't think they'll take their foot off the pedal there. I think I think the, the, the wind blowing it away, that no one would be buying that. So I think they're locked into this place until petrol is found, vehicles are found, cassette decks are understood, and we can drive in a straight line and actually get out of this. But what I was going to question you on, because when Diana and I watched it, we both sort of said, oh, this this is it like th- this gang isn't getting back together again because there's been this event and now everyone's going in different directions we don't even we haven't even seen half of the you know the other cast we don't know what's going on with 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 alicia with 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 june and 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 john's dad um i have a theory that padre might be daniel I don't know. I just wonder. It just feels like there could be a link there. What's going on with Dwight and Sherry? I wonder if how how they would actually get everyone to come back together, given that people are just going to go in random directions. It would be a very big chance for that to happen. I'm curious to see if it does. I hope they do, because as you said, when we were talking about the world beyond and when we've talked about the world uh, the walking dead in general it's all about the gang getting back together and people coming together and it's unlike black summer it's all about the people in those relationships so if we haven't got that and they've all been separated it's a very different dynamic to anything we've ever seen in walking dead before which i guess makes it interesting and look i think that would actually be really cool right because i think you know morgan and uh john's wife uh june mm. um like you know they had a big rift right and like they kind of went their own way so in theory there's no reason they should actually connect up again we yeah. could actually have them kind of doing their own thing um and i think what's I guess my other question is, when you're a credit-only actor, Paul, are you getting paid for every episode that's coming out? Because like, Or are you just getting paid for the episodes you're on? I presume you only get paid for the episodes you're on, because if you can get paid for just being a credit, I wouldn't turn up to half of these podcasts. That's true. That's true. Look, I think we're probably bagging this a little bit too hard, considering we're only into episode two. Correct. And I, and I think fear 
as a concept is going in a fascinating good way and these are you know we've actually had two pretty good episodes in the scheme of things so yeah we've probably been a little bit picky because it's it's kind of low-hanging fruit for us it is indeed and the final thing i'll say on that is i wonder how many seasons we're going to get of this show because we've got seven which for me generally is a reasonable number for any any tv show to have run and so if it if if we've got people going in different directions maybe maybe that's not such a big issue if they're if they're going to wrap it up within the next i don't know maybe this season or next who knows Mm-mm. time will tell but I, yeah i wouldn't be surprised to sort of here we've got one more season or you know just as they maybe want to reset and sort of focus on uh, different characters different sort of directions well paul should we move on over to talk about a tv show that we said we would review last week Indeed, we made a, a promise on air. We agreed that we would watch um, season three of of You, um, which is a show that you know, we've both seen the first two seasons of, and there season three has dropped on Netflix. Uh, this is about a dangerously charming, intensely obsessive young man who goes to extreme measures to insert himself into the lives of those he is uh, transfixed by we're talking of course about uh joe goldberg played brilliantly by Penn bagley um this dan this is a show that you and i as i said we've both we've both seen those two first two seasons we both really enjoyed both of those this here we are the third season i found myself uh, as a quick summary i found myself laughing quite a lot watching this once again i love listening to joe's in a monologue, it's still as funny as ever. And the way he sort of, what he thinks about people with such disdain, or he says something nice to someone's face, but in his head, we hear him just completely slagging them off. That's always been good value. That much of this show was still there. And I enjoyed that part of it. Um, as a concept, this has been good for two seasons. Is season three a push? I wonder, Dan, I'm curious to think, uh, sorry, to hear what you think about this. Yeah, so look, this is full spoilers. So I loved season one of You, and it really caught me by surprise because I remember when I first saw the trailer for it, I thought, oh, is this for me? This looks like, what genre is this TV show? Mm. And it kind of had a bit of a, the way they animate the word You and they kind of cover it with blood, kind of has got like a a bit of a, a cheapish vibe to it for me. Like a, it's almost like a bit of a, a daytime drama, but that like never judge a book by its cover i thought season one fantastic season two uh it was a bit more of the same still enjoyed it i think what's different about season three season one and two is very much focused on on joe and i joe's monologue is the absolute best thing about this whole tv show as you say, hearing his opinion on who he loves, who, how, what he thinks of them, whether he likes them or doesn't like them, and as you say, the the things that you want to say but you would never say out loud, and getting to hear that uh, from Joe is fantastic. What I think is hard with season three is that prime screen time is kind of like like joe's moved to a different point in his life right so previously he was kind of just individually obsessed now Mm. he's married he's got a kid uh his wife is um basically the the female version of joe um and so you've kind of got these two let's call them psychopaths or yeah serial killers um 
that are kind of working with each other slash against each other. And I think what I struggled with with this season is there wasn't like so in, in the previous seasons, I loved how Joe's just been like full energy about a person. And I felt like I didn't have this in this season. It's it's a bit more all over the place. I felt like Joe was so quick to kind of change. Oh, no, it's this person now. Or actually that person's out. I'm on to this person. And I didn't feel as committed to the case as I previously was. And I think a good example for me is, so it starts off, you know, really strong with Joe sort of having an instant kind of love um, interest who's not his wife and then when she's taken out of the picture halfway through the season he switches to somebody else but I didn't believe that he actually loved her I just thought he was being a little bit crazy yeah no I, I think you've summed it up really well it's that it's the premise you know it's good fun it's, given that the premise is it's always about a new obsession that works when we have uh, uh, someone in season one, someone in season two. But when, as you say, in season three, we've got a new obsession, and then within the first episode, she's she's been been killed, and then we're then moving into another one. It's it's um it feels like a show that's done its dash for me in that respect. And like you, I don't think this is nearly as strong as the the previous season, and certainly not as strong as that first one. Um, I I don't think anyone outside of the main two cast so joe and love i think oh tati gabrielle who played the librarian she was pretty good but anyone outside of that i wasn't overly impressed with oh no i tell a lie the guy the guy in the woods the crazy the crazy heroic guy yeah, he was hilarious yeah. but everyone else was very this is gonna sound awful but very b-grade yeah and i think this is sort of what this film kind of brings about right like and i think sherry unfortunately is a good example of this where she's kind of the 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 mummy blogger social media kind of like I'm the popular person like it was kind of hard to kind of buy into those characters and I think what this season could have benefited with is kind of rather than 10 episodes maybe eight and maybe you know because these are hour-long episodes like kind of crunch them down to maybe like yeah. 40 minutes an episode and actually get a bit tighter on the story because I like Joe. I was on the fence about love, but I you're right when it almost became like she's killing so many people. It's just about a comedy. And it's almost like Joe having to clean up her messes kind of was was kind of a eye roll, laugh, oh God, what's he gonna do now? But overall the the general story didn't it it definitely didn't hook me as much as the first one. And I think sort of I, I, I struggled to binge this like yeah. with the other seasons. Like the other ones were like a fantastic, like I'm going to watch five episodes a night and it's going to be done in two nights. So this was kind of a, it was kind of hard work to get through it over a week. Yeah, that's right. And it's I think, you know, you and I watch stuff and have decided to make a podcast to talk about it because we love doing that. And this was one of the few times where it actually – I wouldn't say it felt like work. I wouldn't say that, but it was like, ah, oh, I don't know if I want to keep watching this, but I'm going to because I've said to Dan, I'm going to review it with him. And, and it's kind of, that's, you know, that's where I feel like I'm at with this show. And I felt like they were reusing a lot of things that they'd done before, you know, with the the cage thing downstairs, how they're framing people, these these over-the-top situations where where no one can resist anyone it kind of loses its credibility when just no one has any morals. It seems everyone will, everyone is off cheating. There's, um, I don't know. I, I, I think it's, um, that's why I think the, the short and the short and sweet 
is is better than trying yeah we wouldn't want seven seasons of this right that's what you know well i think this is what's interesting right so we've already had a a confirmed renewal for season four and i actually you know it's I enjoyed the first sort of episode or two of you. It was kind of like, oh, what way are we going now? Dragged a lot in the middle. And I actually really enjoyed the final two episodes of the show. And I think it actually does a good job of, actually, let's put our foot down on the pedal. Let's kind of wrap, wrap some of these storylines up. And then let's really reset for season four. And so season three is obviously like, so we've had individual Joe. We've had now, we've got season three Joe and a and a marriage with a kid and season four is going to obviously be about that there's no longer a kid in the picture there's no longer love in the picture and so joe's fled the country and so it's a whole different like, like i kind of feel like we're back to we're back to where we were at season one but i don't know like i they're going to need to do something different to really kind of make it not just feel like season one and two again yeah i think i think if so there's, there's a double-edged sword, as we like to say. It's kind of, it's good if we're going to be able to focus in on Joe because that's the strength, with due respect. Like I said, I thought the actress playing love, I thought she was great. But how do you then go about that without re... Because I've already said, you know, they're, they're reusing a lot of things and there's only so many ways he can follow someone or creep around their house and take little, you know, keepsakes. And, and, and so... They need to. They need to raise the bar. They need to change it up a little bit. And who am I kidding? We're Joe, probably going to be there for season four, right? Look, I, look, I, look, I'm definitely still in for season four, and I think the last few episodes definitely did redeem the show a bit for me. And I think, I think I'd kind of be interested in you know because Joe's always been one step ahead of everybody the whole way throughout these shows, and I would actually kind of like to see a bit of a, a manhunt for him, like maybe underway so that like let's yeah. actually have some real threats, and then you know maybe mix that in with obviously obviously his obsession and trying to you know stay a, a step ahead of the law would would kind of be a whole different twist on it. I love that, and I think uh, this is a bit of a stretch, but bear with me. That rings for me, very much reminiscent of the final, the third Hannibal movie, where Hannibal is loose, the authorities know what he's about and that he's crazy, and they're, and so you've still got this dangerous person on the loose, but now we've also got, he, he's been, I think that could work really well. I love that. I like that idea. Mm. So look, I think it's still worth a watch. I think where we've done ourselves a disservice, to be honest, Paul, is we've forced ourselves to watch it over a week. Mm. I think if we kind of gave ourselves two weeks to watch this show, kind of an episode a night, we probably would have had maybe a better time. Yeah. It was probably just too much of a, a same, same experience to try and cram 10 episodes in over a week. Yeah, and 10 hours. I mean, it is a, you know, it's it's a lot, right? So um, interesting, though. It's still... It, it's still interesting from the point of view that there's there's no other series out there that's quite like it. And my overwhelming feeling and memory of this remains that appeal of Joe's inner monologue because that is always where the gold is. And so long as there's that and that's well written, I think it's always going to be good value. Yeah, look, you can check out you on Netflix. Awesome, Dan. Shall we skip on over to... This week's movie of the week. 
So each week, Paul and I take turns uh, looking at different movies of the week. This week, we have reviewed the 2020 film The Dry, starring Eric Banner. So this is a movie where Eric Banner plays a guy called Aaron Falk, who returns to his drought-stricken hometown to attend a tragic funeral. But his return opens a decades-old wound, the unsolved death of a teenage girl. What did you think, Paul? I enjoyed this more than I thought I might. I think on on reflection, it was better than I expected it to be going in. I feel like I haven't, I feel like I haven't seen too much with Eric Banner in it, and and I and I don't know why that is. But every time I do see him, I think he's really really good. I think he's really convincing. I think he's he's really easy to watch. I would say he's easily one of my all time favorite Australian actors. And overall, I I found this movie to be quite an easy watch i i think in terms of yeah we often talk about the runtime of movies i feel like this was on this was just under two hours and i have some interesting thoughts about the runtime which i'll 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 come into later but i'll just quickly get you to give me your two cents on on this one as well dan well i guess um First of all, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to come in with a hard flex, Paul. So we we have a family relation to uh, to Eric Banner. I've talked to you about this before. So loosely, without sort of getting too deep into it, my fiancé's cousin goes out with Eric Banner's son. So I think for the, you know, for the purposes of this episode, I'm going to call him Uncle Eric Banner. (laughs) Uncle Eric, I like that. Look, I've never met this cousin. I look, I don't know. I don't know how far removed it is. But anyway, that's my claim to fame. I am a big fan of Eric Banner. I I always have been like I liked him in there in the Hulk. I liked him in Black Hawk Down. He's done like he's a great like he was great in Star Trek. Like he, he's 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 done some some amazing things. And this I think is a you know I I enjoyed this movie. But I actually think I suffered a little bit because I've just tried to get 10 episodes of You done and I felt like this movie, The Dry, was a bit dry for me. And I like I, I say that almost with, with Baby because I think I think this is a, a really good movie. I think it's a good story. I like the twists and turns. I think Eric Banner was fantastic in it, Uncle Eric. I wished I watched it in a bit more of a – a relaxed premise. And I think this is sometimes the challenge of actually having a, a weekly TV movie podcast is we're often like every time we've got a free moment, you're actually kind of like trying to get some content in, right, for the pod. And I think if I'd watched this under slightly different circumstances, I probably would have enjoyed it more because I think this type of movie is up my alley. And I quite enjoy a bit of an Australian twist on these, on these movies. Yeah. I appreciate you bringing to the fore the challenges of, of doing this podcast because people people it's so easy for people to listen to it they don't see what goes on behind the scenes, but um, in all seriousness, I I liken this to how I enjoyed the pacing uh, of Let Him Go, the Kevin Costner Diane Lane movie in terms of mm. that slower setting a small town i thought it really worked with that sort of Australian flavour. I felt I got really drawn in and 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 on that. And this is what I was talking about, the runtime. I felt like I could have even wanted to have learned even more and take even more time. And at the risk of, you know, through a Dan Whiting special, why didn't we make this into like a miniseries? Maybe it could have been 
maybe a four hour mini series and actually let's really explore some of the deeper things that have gone on because they do that the, the, the flashbacks I thought they did it really well. Flashbacks in movies for me are a dangerous thing because it can be a hit or a miss. And if you get it wrong, it can really ruin the whole experience of a movie. But this worked well. I believe that these kids were the adults. It was done convincingly. They didn't linger in the past for too long at a time. They kind of went there sort of often, but not for too long. Um, and so uh, there was a lot there to be explored. And so in that respect, I, I really enjoyed it. It was also good to see, um, did you spot Mon Mothma? Um, uh, she she was in there. She was Gretchen, so Mon Mothma from Rogue One and Revenge of the Sith. Although I'll tell you what, almost didn't bloody recognise her, mate. Not with that long hair and that accent. <laughs> yeah, look, I I think you've, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I think it's this would be a fantastic TV show. Like as you say, you know, sort of that four to six you know episodes hour each. I think they could have just given a bit of uh, additional depth to some of those characters and potentially, I, I even wanted to see more of actually um, Eric Banner's sort of like police kind of career, seemed kind of like fascinating yeah. and he seemed like a, a real badass and yeah, it, just, it seemed like there's there's more there for the telling. Yeah, no, definitely. And in terms of yeah, like I said, I was really impressed by the the director. I had a look. I hadn't seen anything they'd done before. I feel like this is a, a real um, a real feather in their cap. It's um, it, it needs to be in the context of the right time to watch it. So that I'm not selling this as a Saturday night popcorn, but it's kind of a I don't know a rainy rainy Sunday morning when there's nothing going on. Yeah, I think that that's the thing, right? Like, yeah, this is a it's it's not a Saturday night. Let's get hyped. This is a a bit more of a right time, right place movie. But I think if you if you strike it right, I think you're in for a great ride. And so, and this movie is actually available here in New Zealand on a couple of different platforms. It's available on both Neon and Amazon Prime. Indeed. Indeed it is. And yeah, it's been a while since we've had an Australian movie. And like you, I, I'm always curious to see what they, they put out. And the last few we've watched, um, I have been Im- impressed. So, um, and if you're an Eric Banner fan, Hundred percent, and Dan, I presume he's going to be on the pod soon with these family ties. Look, I don't know whether I'll be able to get Uncle Eric on. I have low expectations. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but you never know. You never know. You like. Um, shall we head on over to the news desk? Yeah, what's going on this week? All right, so a few things happening over here. So it looks like um, Dune, which is recently released in cinemas, has won the box office over the weekend. So they have made $40.1 million and has set a pandemic record for Warner Brothers. So that's great news from for them. I hope that we get that movie soon over here in New Zealand. Yeah, I've heard a lot of positive things about it. I've heard... Um a lot of people talking about it and it's just a just a shame we haven't got it right now because yeah hate living in that spoiler zone indeed indeed it's, it's one i definitely am very excited to dive into um a little bit of sad news uh james michael tyler who you may know as gunther on friends has passed away so gunther passed away from uh, prostate cancer and so great loss lots of um love coming for him from the both the friends cast and the wider um acting community so our thoughts with his family 
Speaking of tragic and sad news, um, you actually brought this to my attention, Paul, but Alec Baldwin has been involved in a shooting. So uh, a prop gun on his new movie, Rust, actually had a live ammunition in it and killed and injured um, some members of the crew. So still kind of early days in what might happen from this, but definitely one to watch this space. There's a whole bunch of questions, like not only is this sort of terrible that that someone's been someone's lost their life at work but uh, is this the end for the movie Mm. what will happen to Alec Baldwin he potentially will face criminal charges for this Um, there's lots of things still to be explored there but not great news horrible yeah on a more positive front I don't know if this is positive actually I'm a bit torn Warner Brothers Barbie movie (laughs) is set to feature Ryan Gosling is Ken. This could be his best role since uh, since Drive. Could be, could be. I, look, I'm going to be honest. They, I could imagine them doing something quite fun with this movie, but I'm also kind of a little bit scared as well. But let's see. It's a big franchise. They've got some big names behind it. So it's also going to be starring uh, Margot Robbie as well. She's fantastic, obviously. Um, many of you will know her as Harley Quinn. Here's a bit of news for you, Paul, that will warm the cold cockles of your heart. Ooh. Vin Diesel has walked Paul Walker's daughter, Meadow, down the aisle at her wedding. Oh, okay, that is nice, isn't it? It's about family, Paul. I thought you could tell me Vin Diesel was back for another Fast and Furious movie or something. No, that is nice. He's big, he's big. A uh, couple of other things. So Netflix, um, the Last Kingdom series is into its final season next year. And they've also announced that there's going to be a, a movie as, as well to wrap things up. And that movie is going to be called Seven Kings Must Die. Mm. The Last Kingdom is a fantastic series if you enjoy that sort of Viking genre. It took me a little bit to get into after watching Vikings. It kind of felt like a little bit of a, a cheaper version, but I actually think it really grows into its own. So highly recommended if you haven't watched that series yet. Oh. Final two bits of news. Hayden Christensen is also going to be in the Ahsoka series. You brought that to my attention. That's one of the news highlights of the week. I'm because there's so much talk about. Oh, you know, what's he going to be in the Obi Wan series? Is he is is he going to be in the suit? Is it going to be all Vader? Is it going to be flashbacks as Anakin? And then the same questions come up in the Ahsoka series. I feel like in the Ahsoka series, then it would be a real hard sell. I think for unless they're going to do the whole thing in the past for for them to to do it as Anakin. I think he's going to be Vader there as well. So that's fascinating. 100%. I think we're going to get some flashbacks. I think we're going to get some some classic snips and Anakin scenes. I think it's going to be good. Final bit of news. Sopranos creators are in talks for an HBO Max prequel series. After the success of The Many Saints of Newark, it's reignited a bunch of interest in Sopranos. And I'm telling you, Paul, a lot of people are watching this show. I hear a, a lot of talk on the streets. I hear a lot of talk in my community. A lot of sit-downs. People are all over it. People want more Sopranos. I'm definitely in that camp. Sign me up. Let's do it. Well, you had the incident with the wheelie bin, and I presume Waste Management is the is the cover in your region for the, the local gangsters. So for you to be having these sit-downs, I take your word for it, Dan. I take your word for it. And that, Paul, is me. Anything on your end? 
just a couple of things. Um, so Succession has been renewed for a fourth season. This is a show that I need to probably get back into because I I started in season one and never never carried on with it. But it seems to be all the rage. It's getting all the ratings. It's getting everyone talking. So that's now coming back for a fourth season. Um, and the other the other the only had one other thing because you covered off the other things I was I had on my list. The the only other thing. And this is something I've been waiting to hear for ages. And I was like, am I the only person who ever Googles this news? And it's Happy Valley. And it's Happy Valley, third and final season. Uh, it's coming. Um, it will be shooting uh, in North, uh, sorry, in West Yorkshire uh, early next year. And it's going to be six episodes. And this, if you haven't watched Happy Valley, BBC police drama, it's one of the, I would say, I would put it top 10 in terms of, UK police dramas. It's really strong. Sarah Sarah Lancashire is uh, is is really really good in this, and so she will be back for for one more series um, in Happy Valley. So yeah, that's exciting. I'm I'm excited, Paul. This is as you say, this is a fantastic um, UK British police series. I was just thinking about Happy Valley the other day, and I thought to myself, I must Google to see what they're up to. You've delighted me. It's good, eh? People often come to me and say, oh, what's a good place? And it's always in the, like if I give them 10, it's always in that list. It's, it's that good. Um, I'll take us across then to our mailbag. And there's uh, just a couple of things here. Firstly, we've got, uh, well, actually, no. Firstly, a thank you to to Jessica Lynn Verdi um, from uh, Roddenberry Podcast and Heartbeats TV. Uh, we had her on the podcast uh you know a couple of weeks ago she gave us a couple of shout outs this week across a, a few podcasts this week uh which was really nice of her and also a congratulations to her for being handed the reins to host a brand new official roddenberry podcast series and this one is uh, all about seth mcfarlane's the orville which is um pretty cool gig to score so good on you um our review of squid game last week um that got fair bit of attention unsurprisingly given how popular it is um our friend claudia from blue table telenoa podcast um, in auckland said that she was so into it she ended up binging the entire series in one night but she also added that she does not encourage anyone else to do that as it did not make for a productive day the next day and given that that's nine hours it doesn't you don't have to think about that for too long to think that someone might have been up till 3 a.m so that was quite good um bernadette from wellington also watched it she said it was a bit scary for her and she got as far as red light green light and after all the all the things that happened at that point and i won't talk about it for anyone who wants to stay spoiler free she said she was out um and all she wanted to know was in the end who won so we we dm'd her the answer and uh gave her some of the trivia that you you mentioned last week down about the old man which was uh, quite interesting to her um Paddy actually had to stop listening to our podcast because he was only halfway through Squid Game. Sounds like he was prioritizing Doctor Who there, which I guess is acceptable. But he did mention uh, he's impressed with it so far. Uh, Peak performance last week, Josh Brolin. We had a few contributors for that. We had uh, Nat from Tafanga Nui Atara gave us his 3-2-1, No Country for Old Men. Uh, Also went... oh. I did this again. I didn't write it down. I only wrote down two of the three. Uh, what was the other one? This is bad. This is bad. I should have this ready to go. Sorry, Dan. Apologies. Uh, yeah, so No Country for Old Men. 
And then the second one he had was Infinity War. There we go. I knew it was something. Great choice. And number one for him, Hell Caesar, um, which is one of those ones we've talked about before, which has just escaped my radar. I really want to get around to watching. Um, We also have a certain Mr. Chalmers from Charlotte, USA, who gave us his 3-2-1 of Planet Terror. Good choice. The Goonies, obviously a great choice, and No Country for Old Men. So three great, great choices there. Added to this, Mr. Chalmers uh, listens to the pod every week over in the, uh, what do they call it, in the in the Tar Heel State. Uh, and he says he's going to try and contribute to our peak performances more regularly. And we also know that he listens to this podcast often in the car with his wife. And so, hi, Michael's wife. Uh, please can you make sure he keeps his promise maybe a reminder on his calendar on a monday morning i don't know something we'd appreciate that so that we can get those peak performances coming in each week and then finally penny or paddy or whatever he's called from time traveling tink podcast a uh, massive fan of josh brolin uh, it was a huge part of his childhood he says and he gave us three two one of jimmy from young riders dan white in milk and Thanos um, was his number one. Uh, fair play to him. He also sent us the photo <laughs> that Warwick Davis signed for him incorrectly that reads Two Penny, which I really appreciated. <laughs> That's the mailbag this week. That is very cool. I'm surprised to not hear any more love for Old Boy. I don't know, is, am I off out of sync here or have not enough people seen it? I, I think if you haven't seen it, this is a, another sort of or um, a wacky movie, uh, check it out. Absolutely. Well, Paul, it must be time for our peak performances. Indeed. So just like Movie of the Week, each week Dan and I take it in turns, we choose a, an actor, actress, a director, a producer, someone from Hollywood, someone from the industry, and we decide what is their peak performance. And this week, Dan, who have we got? This week, Paul, we are going with everyone's favourite hobbit, Martin Freeman. So, would you like me to go first this week, or...? Why not? Go for it. All right. So, actually, Martin Freeman, I say this a lot, fantastic back catalogue, a lot of great movies, a lot of great TV shows, and it really was a bit of a tough call for me. But this week, for his runner-up, I'm actually going to go with the the 2020 series Breeders, uh, Paul, you and I were big fans of this TV show, season one and two. Mm. You can watch that on Neon. I just think um, Martin's role as the angry dad is just fantastic. He says things which which are not okay. And (laughs) it's a, a TV show that's so funny, so sad, so serious, so real. It's He deserves all the credit for that show. But for my actual peak performance, I'm going to go with another TV show. I'm going to go with uh, with his role as Tim in The Office. So this is the the BBC original Office, and this was my my very first exposure um, to Martin Freeman, and I just loved his character in the show. It's everything that um, US Office Jim is kind of kind of based on the sort of this wit and this humour, and. When I think of Martin Freeman, I think of Tim from The Office. And, you know, there's people that like fight. Is it US Office? Is it BBC? You know what? We can live in a world with both. They're both great. And I think 
just just top work, top work, Martin Freeman. But there's so many things I could give you a shout out for. In fact, I look forward to our mailbag next week, and I'm hoping a lot of our, our listeners cover off the additional movies and TV shows that I want to talk about. How about you, Paul? Where'd you end up? Yeah, it's um like you. I I think I say it a lot, but this was one of the hardest peak performances I've done for a while. It's um it's right out there with some of the really tough ones, and the challenge for me is always to not talk about all the things. And I was really glad that you mentioned something that isn't on my list, but my honourable mention, uh, I you know like you, I can't go past Tim from the two thousand ones, The Office. He he plays. I think it's just that simplicity of that run-of-the-mill, bored office worker, most normal guy you could ever meet. And then he's got that that great relationship with, uh, with Lucy Davis as Dawn. And then, of course, with, um, <laughs> with Gareth. It's just, it's just the best. And I will never tire of watching that show. And like you, it was the first thing I saw him in as well. And I will just quickly add, if you, if you ever think of it, if you have the time, have a look on YouTube and just search for outtakes of Tim watching Keith try to eat a scotch egg I would go I would almost go on the record and say it's it's almost funnier than the scene in the in the in the show itself it's so good watching these outtakes that they just can't get the the shot down and of course you've got Ricky Gervais laughing I mean uh, it's impossible not to have a good time watching that um Pete performance though Dan I am going to go with his role in the 2010 to 2017 TV series Sherlock where he played probably my favorite ever incarnation of of, of Dr Watson um and and to put that into context because we often talk about peak performance when I think of X I always think of and I think that defines peak performance me and when I think of Martin Freeman I think of him as Dr Watson this is a series that sits in my top 10 TV series of all time and he's absolutely perfect in this, and they couldn't have cast anyone opposite Benedict any better. He, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch quite rightly gets a lot of attention for his role as Sherlock, but it's Freeman's Watson that is such a a massive reason that it works. He kind of plays that. He's he's kind of us, you know. He's kind of the audience in terms of dealing with the infuriation of being with a, a an absolute genius, and I absolutely love it. So yeah, The Office and Sherlock. I'm very glad that you brought up Sherlock. I so wanted to choose it, and I was just like, I'm so torn. So mm. that's a you've made great choices. There's so many other things in there that just it's it's it's, it's unspeakable. Sorry, it's unforgivable for us not to talk about them, but we won't because that's how the the performance works. And we'll see see if the mailbag brings us anything different. Indeed. So make sure you write in if you've got some uh, different shout outs for us. Well, Paul, it probably just about brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Mishes podcast. does indeed. Thank you once again to everyone who's listened this week. Don't forget, you can get in touch with us at halfmeasurespodcast.com on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at halfmeasurespod. And look, have a great Halloween if you're out celebrating this weekend. You know. Meanwhile, please stay away from my house. Don't ring my doorbell. I will be turning off the lights and pretending that no one's home because that's just how sociable I am. And if you are looking for a spooky movie, strongly encourage you to go into our Discord channel, uh, check out some of Sador's recommendations. I think there's some good ones in there. Uh, but also a special shout out to our Patreon producers, uh, which are Samara King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa, and Linda Tavner. If you would like to become a 